What's the crack? I'm Brona. And I'm Ava. We enjoy listening to people tell their stories. And hearing their different perspectives. Which is why we started this podcast. Today we are speaking with Steph Hernandez, who was a content writer, originally from Malaysia and currently living in Ireland. She has studied anthropology in the past because of her interest in culture and also has a keen interest in LGBT issues, which we are going to be discussing with her today. Hey! Hello. Hey guys, thanks for having me. No worries. Thanks for coming on. So Steph, do you want to tell us a bit about yourself? Yeah, absolutely. So born and raised in Malaysia. I've always worked with like marginalized communities and people like that. Growing up, my parents were very big on volunteering and giving back to the community, but they'd always look past the community. They'd look at like sort of disenfranchised groups. So like migrant women, refugee kids, that sort of thing. And that sort of piqued my interest really. So when I did my master's in anthropology, I actually looked at the studies of like queer South Asians and in the UK and how they were able to then like reconcile culture with identity. So I looked at like first and second generation South Asians and that was just really, really interesting, like opened up a whole world of studies. Like it's a very like underrepresented area in anthropology. So I just thought that was really interesting. I also have a background in gender studies. I minored in gender studies and that would have been quite fascinating because where I'm from, like Malaysia, I think I went to pretty much the only university that offered that as a minor. And uh, the lecturer was just like amazing, absolutely phenomenal, like super feminist, like very inclusive. And that sort of shaped my perspective, I suppose surrounding this. So in Malaysia, you've got like the three predominant races. You've got like the Malays who are sort of native to the country. And then you would have the uh, Chinese and the Indians. So my family would be Indian, but we'd also be like very Catholic. What I think is so great is that my parents have always been very like challenge the system. You need to have critical thinking. You need to like think outside the box. So if you think something is wrong, why is that wrong? You need to like come up with reasons for that. You can't just be like, oh, that's wrong, whatever. And um, their whole encouragement of me to work with disenfranchised communities was really great because when I came back and I was like, well, I can do like two majors, but I can also minor in gender studies. They were like, do it. Absolutely do it. The lady who ran the course as well was just like so, so impressive, like loads of qualifications. Meeting her was completely life-changing. She would really go into the theories behind why things are the way they are. And it was great to have that put into a Malaysian perspective as well. I think it's so, so important because you could go your entire life without looking outside of yourself and outside of your community. And uh, I think I was very lucky to have been brought up in such an inclusive, such, uh, I suppose, like a forward thinking environment, which is a lot more than I can say for like some of the people I've met, I suppose, as as you go and as you live your life, you kind of, you're just kind of like, oh, interesting. (laughs) With all all of your facial expressions. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I'm just like, ah, I see. Okay. (laughs) Oh my gosh, what was some of that work then with the communities? Like, what did that involve? So my parents have always been very involved in reaching out to migrant communities and stuff. While they did it through like church groups, it was very much that like religion was completely uninvolved. It wasn't about going there and like converting people and telling people about religion and things like that. It was simply about humanizing these people. Because if you look at the way Malaysia treats refugees and migrants, it's really, really bad. Like, 
like it's one of the toughest countries to get a citizenship to. It's still very much a conservative society in terms of who leads the government and uh, what they're saying. I remember when we were in school, you'd have kids who would operate outside of the heterosexual matrix. So like guys who were like really feminine and things like that. And obviously there's nothing wrong with that. But if they were Muslim and if they had the Malay sort of signifier on their identification, Mm. they would sort of like threaten them with conversion therapy almost. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So it was really strange. It's sort of like, this is totally acceptable to do, but like, is it, is it like, According to the government, yes, it is. But like, if you look at it as a human being, is it though? Is that like a totally acceptable thing to do? I don't think so. Jesus. Yeah, that's a very like extreme way to react to that. For know? sure, for sure, yeah. yeah. Would you be able to tell us a bit more about actually Malaysia's stance on the LGBT community and what life is like for that community there? Yeah, of course. You know, you'd read about it occasionally in the papers and then you'd have like interactions when you'd see, you know, like people in school being like, oh, you'll go to conversion therapy. I know that there are camps. I've never really heard of someone going to these, like someone I know personally. I'm almost afraid to do a deep dive into that to, you know, see the techniques they utilize. But Like I said, like doing my minor in gender studies was great because it was gender studies from a Malaysian perspective. And that was so interesting because through that, I sort of learned that you do have native Malaysians, people who still practice like their native beliefs and stuff. And um, because Malaysia was colonized by the British. So before the dawn of Islam in Malaysia and before like the British came over bringing Christianity, you'd have sort of these tribes with like multiple gender identity signifiers and more than one way to do it, which I just think is so, so interesting because if you think about that and you think about like how many different identities have been stamped out just by propositioning like one single way of life, it's really, really upsetting to think about. But since then, Malaysia has only sort of become more and more conservative. If you look at the Wikipedia page, it says Malaysia is a secular country. It really isn't. There is like a huge religious stance on these things. And that's quite interesting because if you look at that, so you've got like the Muslim community and it's a fairly large community. They'd be the majority almost, but you would see that the way that they sort of operate within the Muslim community is making things very difficult for the Muslim community itself, especially if you are an LGBT individual who happens to be born into a Muslim family or whose family converted to Islam, then that's going to be like tough going for you because they really come down hard. Like if you're not Muslim, they don't super focus on it. They don't like hyper fixate until recently you could be charged just because it was like a natural sex or whatever, but they're not going to like rage your house and be like, yeah, you're been on this thing. But if you are part of the Muslim community, things can get like very difficult for you very quickly. So that's their official stance on it. You do have, I suppose, the prime minister before this one who had been prime minister when I was growing up and then he retired and then he came back. For a while, we had the oldest prime minister in the world. Not much of an accomplishment, guys, but you know, um, we'll take what we can get. (laughs) But I remember growing up and him saying, 
I am a dictator. This is who I am. And uh, I remember him warning other heads of state saying like, if you're gay and if you're thinking about coming to Malaysia, you leave your same-sex partner at home because we don't do that stuff here. So that's like not just practicing what you believe. It's like imposing that on other people. That's just the way things are in Malaysia. And that stance has leaked into their perception of the LGBT community. That is insane. So uh, since you live in Ireland now, can you tell us what you find are the main differences for the LGBT community in Ireland and Malaysia? That's a really good question. And um, I, w- I was thinking about this recently as well, just because I've seen so many of my trans Irish friends try and resort to fundraising to, I suppose, get the money together for their life affirming, for their gender affirming surgeries. And I think for a developing country, that's pretty strange. I mean, I know Ireland has come on in leaps and bounds regarding like trans rights and trans healthcare in the past, maybe five years or less. But at the same time, it feels very similar to Malaysia in that a lot of my Malaysian trans acquaintances would have to travel outside of the country to get that surgery. So a lot of them would go to Singapore, go to Thailand, because doctors in Malaysia are just not trained in trans healthcare at all. And that's very worrying because if they do get the surgery and they come back and then something goes wrong with their healing process, the Malaysian doctors can try and do, you know, what they can, but they're just not versed in this at all, which is completely, completely terrifying. That being said, I suppose I've seen like several differences because trans people here seem to live a far more affirming life than they do in Malaysia. You know, all change is good and all change is positive. It's just a lot slower than I thought it would be. Yeah, no, definitely. I wouldn't know a lot about it myself, but do you think like Irish people kind of have taken to gender pronouns and like all this kind of new stuff that we didn't know before? Do you think they've taken to that well? Again, I suppose it's just like getting used to it and you know the whole like education thing and that's completely ongoing i myself like sometimes i see pronouns and i'm just like oh that's interesting i've never seen that one before and like i would have minored in gender so i'm like i thought i would have come across that by now mm. like the reading i do and and things like that just trying to keep up to date and trying to like be a good ally and align myself with these communities but it is tough going and i think people always sort of excuse older communities by saying like oh, they're really used to that, you know, their way of life and they're not going to change. But they've had that much longer to get used to it. It's just trying to understand people. And I think if people came from that sort of perspective, not so much as in trans people are trying to like change the system and like affect our children and this and that and the other that you hear a lot of the Gemo Doherty rhetoric really, uh, isn't it? But I just feel like if they came from a place of wanting to understand, then things would go a lot better for everybody involved instead of a place where, oh, the system that I've built, the system I've grown up with is under attack. Because it's not about that at all. Mm. It's just more outreach, I suppose, and more education and just more trying to tell people that being a good ally, it's not hard. There are so many different ways to address it. I could go on and on. (laughs) (laughs) No, I definitely, I definitely get what you mean, though. I do think education is really important because speaking to like, say my mom, for example, she 
just to put it out there, she wouldn't have an issue with any LGBT issues whatsoever. At the same time, though, she wouldn't have, you know, had probably a good understanding of like mm. what it really means to be transgender. She for probably sure, sure. would have thought, oh, it's just some girl who wants to wear male clothes or something like that. But it's obviously much deeper than that. It's, you know, yeah. in some ways, like it is a mental health issue. For like, sure. It is a bigger thing. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, and that's a thing that I'm seeing like in Ireland where people do have access to their um, gender affirming hormones and therapy and things like that. In Malaysia, you just don't have that. You can go private, but that's going to take you years and years and years. That's going to cost you a lot. Or you can go public and see someone who is like government sanctioned and that might not be the best possible route for a trans person. But then it goes into the whole like, how do you get your hormones? A lot of people would get them on the black market. And then like, how do you know how much you have to take because you need those tests mm -hmm. done it's amazing to see the way malaysian trans people are able to get around this because their desire to like live an affirming life is just absolutely phenomenal i have so much respect for that but at the same time they shouldn't have to do that it should mm -hmm. be so much easier for them and i think that's maybe something that ireland is getting right in terms of the start of trans healthcare. yeah no definitely and even like i remember before actually as well I think it might have been this morning or something like that and there was a clip from some doctor even and he was doing an interview about how like he doesn't agree with it at all so he won't consult with any trans people he doesn't believe it you know all this and it just wow. made me think it must be so hard fearing that even your doctor like you know someone who's meant to help you could turn you away or not even validate how you're feeling when they're a health professional it's just yeah that's uh I mean, that's like a huge violation of the Hippocratic Oath, isn't it? Mm. So, no, yeah. absolutely. That's it. Um, so, what do you think are some of the challenges that the LGBT community face in Malaysia? It's just a systemic issue that they face. It's from not being able to change your gender marker on your ID card because in Malaysia, we all have an ID number mm -hmm. and the signifier is really interesting because if you're biologically female, then your ID number ends on an even number. And if you're biologically male, then it ends on an odd number. So it's very, very obvious. Like once you look at it, you're like, oh, okay. Then if you get stopped by the police and they look at your marker and your form, you're like flesh prison doesn't match what they say on the card, then that just adds a whole other layer to it, like harassment. Even if you're not Muslim, like people can be put up to so much in terms of, I suppose, just the government in Malaysia not being able to change that, not being able to change your name. There are like a list of names that you can't change your name to if you're a woman, if you're a man, because like that's a feminine name or that's a masculine name. So you can't do that. Big no, no. And the whole like trans healthcare issue is a big one. A couple of years ago, like a Malaysian news source actually wrote an article about what Malaysian trans women go through to get that surgery. It would be really, really tough going for them because, first of all, a lot of them wouldn't have the support systems from their families. This is fairly common, especially if you're Indian, because a lot of Indian families would be more traditional and they would value the idea of the son very highly. Mm. And if you've grown up as a little boy and you come home and you're like, 
actually, this doesn't work for me. They're not going to like that. It's just like ingrained in the culture. It is a very hegemonic, masculine culture. So a lot of these ladies would not have the support from their families, which means that they would have to travel to Thailand, to Singapore alone, do the aftercare themselves, and then come back. And um, a lot of the time, you might not even have money for plane fares and things like that. So you'd have to take the bus, which just adds a whole other layer of discomfort. Imagine going through like a massive, massive surgery, and then having to like take the bus back. The roads in Malaysia aren't the best, I'll tell you now. <laughs> and um, to have to grow up in a community, especially if you go to a public school where people are just like, if you keep this up, we're going to send you to like conversion camp and things like that. There are just loads and loads of challenges. It's a sick cycle and it's like mm. a terrible system. There are people who are doing like really, really good work. There are groups like Sexuality Mordeca, like Queer Lapis, like little communities that have popped up and the trans community do what they do to support themselves. But there is only so much you can do, especially when there are so many people to help. I don't want to badmouth Malaysia, but it doesn't sound like a nice place to grow up if you're LGBT at all. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. And um, that's just like thinking about it right now as well. I suppose young queer kids growing up and this is what they're exposed to like you'd be scared like you'd be terrified you know to tell people to let people in no definitely I mean when like I was growing up obviously not everyone was like okay with it but it was like you know you'd get the odd comment or something you know you get a little bit of slagging or whatever and I'm not saying that's easy to deal with either but you know, your life wasn't being threatened or, you know, you weren't being told you'd be going to conversion camp. It's actually quite a big difference. Yeah, for sure. And um, I do believe that things are changing just because people have more access to the internet. They're being like very understanding of these things. And, uh, you know, sometimes you'll scroll through like Malaysian TikTok and you're like, yeah, little queer kid living their best life. Amazing. Good for you. It's great to see that joy and to see the fact that they can sort of build a community off there because online communities are just as important Mm. as like physical ones. I just think it's great that, you know, slowly we're sort of seeing change. We have our first political party that's been formed. They've done nothing, but they've been formed and they keep saying they want to push for like equal rights and things like that. And that's great to see. We don't know if they're going to get anywhere, but, you know, it's good to see. There is a change and it is happening. It's just going a lot slower than I would like. (laughs) Yeah. And so obviously education is a big thing when it comes to seeing progress for the LGBT community. For sure. And I suppose the other big thing is media and pop culture because we're always exposed to it. So what do you think the representation of the LGBT community in media and pop culture is compared to what it actually is to be part of that community? Malaysia generally does not allow LGBT representation in films unless at the end of the film, and they use this word a lot, the character will like bertaubat, which means repent. And uh, (laughs) so (laughs) I just think that's so, so interesting. So since they launched those laws, they've like had a couple films and books where the character towards the end would be like, no, actually, I'm going to live my life the religious way and I'm going to adapt. Yeah, it's really <laughs> Oh my God. <laughs> That's so annoying. <laughs> Isn't it just like ridiculous? No, like how um, bloody stupid, I'm sorry, but like literally, let's make this empowering film that helps people who are gay feel more comfortable. <laughs> oh no, actually, do you know what? It was a phase, I've decided. 
Yeah, yeah, no, that's that's absolutely it. We've got a long way to go in terms of Malaysian representation. I suppose you do have Malaysian LGBT bands and Malaysian LGBT musicians, influencers and things like that, but they operate within such a liminal space. I'd say up until 2018, we, we actually did have a um, Malaysian influencer musician, a trans woman, Noor Sajat, and uh, she was great because she was going out there and she was killing the game. She had like three, four successful business opportunities. She had like her little music career. She wasn't like amazing at it but like good for her fair play you know for putting yourself out there unacknowledged part of it was that she was a trans woman and she was living her best life she was raising her two children single mother like doing really well what was very interesting was that she seemed to be very well accepted by the Malay Muslim community because she was Malay Muslim but all this changed in 2018 because she sponsored a bunch of religious events and to do that she would have had to go to these locations like the mosques and stuff and the second that happened they just came down on her and they said like no this is 100 a man dressing in women's clothes at a religious event and since then she's just been like pursued by the police it's gone on for years and years now last year at the end of the year, she released a series of recordings where she had gone to meet with the religious legal force in Malaysia, where they sort of established that you are, you know, behaving within the lines of the religion. She had gotten a bunch of emails, a bunch of phone calls saying like, we want to meet with you. We want to talk this out. That's all we're going to do. She went like in good faith, but they were absolutely horrible to her. You could hear the violence in the way that they were speaking to her. They were misgendering her. Since then, the media has like done her no favors at all. They've referred to her repeatedly as her dead name. They have used male pronouns. And these would be like massive Malaysian publications doing this. First of all, like why would you waste your like time and resources putting this woman under even more like added duress, added stress and added pressure. She like went underground and like she's released occasionally a series of videos and stuff talking about her kids saying that they've been apprehended. And then last week, the Malaysian police force revealed that they've been tracking her and that they've managed to track her to a location in Thailand. So this is making like international news in Southeast Asia. Thailand has no extradition laws at present, so they have no legal obligation to bring her back to Malaysia. Mm. But right now, what our police force is doing and what they're spending the taxpayers' money on is working on bringing her back to Malaysia so that she can be prosecuted for this. Thankfully, she does have like a UNHCR card and she is looking at applying for asylum in Australia, which she absolutely, absolutely should do. But to look at that representation, it's frightening because the only reason she is getting that much representation in the media is because of who she is as a person. She is an influencer. She is a businesswoman. She is, you know, like a celebrity pretty much. But it's so scary to think about the people who don't have access to the resources that she have, who have met with the legal religious team and like no one knows what's happened to them because they've not been able to tell their story or they don't have the platform to do that. I was just going to touch about that because mm -hmm. um, I'd say in 
the noughties, we had this really amazing Malaysian filmmaker, Yasmin Ahmad, and her films are actually on Netflix. Would absolutely recommend like anyone to watch them because the subtitles are still really good. It's in like a combination of Malay and English, just really good, like super, super talented. And after her death, it sort of came to light that she was actually a trans woman. But just because she had sort of played into the whole like respectability politics in the sense that she was like, I'm not talking about this. She was very celebrated in Malaysia. I think the discrepancy in the way Yasmin Ahmad was treated and the way like Sajat is being treated is just very, very interesting, mainly because Sajat is just not refusing to play the game at all. She's like, I've gone to see you. I've said what I've had to say. It's just absolutely fascinating to see the way they think they can like wield that power as well over these sexual and and gender identity minorities is horrible. So that's that's the media representation for it. (laughs) Yeah. And what do you think of the Western media, like in the films and TV series where you do see, you know, gay people represented? Uh, What do you think about that? Like, do you think um, it's a good representation or? I think it's great. And um, again, in Malaysia, the censorship laws have like hit really hard. Like there was... Do you remember when um, the live action Beauty and the Beast was launched? Like, what was it, two, three years ago with Emma Emma Watson? Watson. I think it was like 2018. Do you remember that they had like a minor character, but like Disney's first gay character almost? But in Malaysia, there was uproar about that. People were like, how dare this man have 20 seconds of screen time in like an hour and a half movie? And people were just like, absolutely not. And they cut off like the tiny little, it was so funny because it was a, a blink and you'll miss it part, mm. right? Where he's like, this guy's like really into Gaston. Oh yeah, yeah. I remember yeah. that. It's just that, like, little bits, like, we're so afraid of this aspect. This is Western culture. We don't do that stuff. Mm. So, um, yeah, it is. But that's that's crazy. Like, see, if I'm being honest, when I watched that film, I didn't even, like, realize that. that For sure. Afterwards, I kind of read about it, and I felt a bit silly that I didn't. It was only 20 seconds anyway. And it's only 20 (laughs) seconds in the film. He wasn't, like, even, like... I mean, character in it at all, you know? Exactly. And it's like, it's crazy because like, if you're looking for these things, you will see it. But like, why are you, it's not that deep. Like you don't have to look for it that much. You know, you don't have to make it such a big thing. We did an episode before on uh, how mental health is glamorized, you know, that kind of way. And the reason it's relevant is because it was like, people were putting like, I have anxiety or I have depression and they're like putting it in the bio and everything. And just like really advertising that they have it. Some of them definitely didn't because they didn't understand the extremity of those disorders you know that kind of way like they were like oh like I can't breathe like (laughs) you know but it's like a bit more to it than that (laughs) so the reason I suppose we're kind of asking this question now is because we're kind of wondering if there's a similar thing happening with like LGBT and I've kind of seen it a bit myself on like TikTok and stuff I don't know if you've seen that trend where like (laughs) you move your hand the the limp wrist yeah (laughs) and each like position means a different sexuality but basically what happens is you keep doing it to the sound right yeah and then when the music stops you stop on what yours is but I've noticed when I've been watching these videos I can't get over how many people are like bye (laughs) 
<laughs> we're going off these videos so I suppose like from my side of things that's why I ask whether you think it's glamorized I definitely think that there is some truth to that because it definitely like has been glamorized it's almost the revival of the 2008 like Katy Perry's I kissed a girl I was actually having a really really interesting conversation with one of my friends recently about this because we were talking about that game The Last of Us yeah I think it's really interesting because they're making a TV show to be launched next year whether it's going to be good remains to be seen what's just absolutely fascinating to me in the first game is that once you play the DLC you sort of learn that the main female character in the game who you play at certain mm. points is a lesbian character yeah. is like interested in women but she's also 14 years old mm. and I was saying to my friend that it's going to be really interesting to see the backlash to this because there is going to be backlash oh, will the be, yeah. only reason that there is going to be backlash is that people from like different sexual mm. orientations are inherently seen as sexual even though it's not about that. The whole idea about heterosexuality is that it's so like multifaceted. Oh, you know, if you're heterosexual, you're just gonna like hang out and like get married and have kids and adopt a dog and it's not like sexualized. Yeah. But I suppose with same-sex relationship, there is that area of like, oh, this is the one thing that they do that's different from us. And so, because that's the one thing they do, mm. we're gonna make it all about that. Yeah. And um, so there is definitely gonna be backlash, but I'm really interested to see how they how they navigate that especially with a character that's like 14 that's that's young I mean you could even like I can even imagine people saying the whole phase thing for that or, yeah yeah you know, for sure because isn't like the whole storyline with um the last of us like that there's not that many people because it's like zombies and stuff like yeah yeah so, like they could be saying as well like oh well she's just going for what she can get right? <laughs> you know yeah. So I think if you did just come at it from a point of understanding and not like just equating people, because a person isn't like a monolith. They're not just their sexuality. They're not just their gender identity. Everyone has like more than one thing to contribute. So look at it from different perspectives. And I think that that's one thing that Malaysia just seems to get wrong over and over and over again. Wow. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> on a bit of a tangent there. No, but I do understand where you're coming from. I'm kind of going from there. Do you think that weirdly, in a way, um, being part of the LGBT community has become a bit of a bandwagon where people do equate that to being their personality trait or almost like a tool that will help them further themselves in their career or gain a bigger following on social media? That is so interesting. That's a really, really fascinating question to ask because I do think so to an extent. Like if you just look at it, even in the space of YouTube and things like that, you see so many YouTubers who've made like a career off this, who've made that their personality trait. Look at Shane Dawson, look at Jeffree Star. Do you remember uh, like before Shane Dawson sort of quit the internet? I feel like there are some people who shouldn't have been bullied off the internet. Jenna Marbles, miss yeah. you every day. I agree, um, I agree. I love Jenna Marbles. Just, just post that. I feel like I know who you're going to talk about though. Are yeah? You, are you going to talk about Trisha Paytas? Oh, <laughs> I, I, I actually am going to talk about Trisha Paytas because like... 
Uh, Trisha Paytas, do they use they, them pronouns? Currently. At the beginning, they didn't. <laughs> yeah, no, that's completely fine. Like gender identity is a very personal thing. It's just so fascinating the way that these people go about mm. portraying themselves on the internet. And that said, there should be somewhere where you can draw the line and be like, oh, I was sort of uneducated when I talked about these things. Because right now, the way that Trisha Paytas is operating, the way that they're posting on the interwebs is just absolutely fascinating because if they took a second to read gender theory or like anything at all related to that, they'd just be able to take a step back and be like, oh, okay, this is what I've said and this is why, you know, it might be harmful because like so many people have done that. If you look at Rose and Rosie and the stuff that they've posted and they recently well, not recently, but like about a year ago, mm. they released an apology video where they repeatedly called Marsha P. Johnson, Martha P. Johnson. So <laughs> fun times. I just think if people like Trisha Paytas took a step back and just did not make it all about their gender identity, it's a multifaceted thing. It's mm. not something that you, you know, have to jump on and you have to like capitalize off. This is definitely a little bit of respectability politics coming into play. But like, I think gender is a very personal thing. I think people can interpret it however they want. But at the same time, when you're coming out and you're saying these things that are very much like the epitome of jumping on the bandwagon, it does more harm than good. The stuff she was saying, it just was contradicting itself anyway. Like, you know, like she was starting the video by saying, I'm actually a gay man. I yeah, and I don't like to wear makeup. I like to laze about whatever. I'm also a drag queen uh, in the sense that I like to wear makeup. And then at the end of the video, do I identify as a man? Yes. But am I okay using um, she, her still? Yes. <laughs> I mean, just a bit. Uh, yeah, I feel like it just needs a little bit more nuance. Needs a bit of tweaking. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, Trish is a very interesting one, though. Um, I do have to say, because like, obviously, I'm not an expert on all of this stuff, but with mental health and stuff, she has also been quite controversial. So, yes. you know, and mental health, as we've mentioned before, it is a bit of a bandwagon too. Definitely. Her message becomes a little less sincere when it, she's hopping on all these things, you know, that kind of yeah, way. And yeah. all you, the trends as well. Yeah, you know? I think TikTok's a big one for that. There's this really great TikToker I followed. She's an older lady. I think her handle is Dr. Ina or something like that. But mm. she's just absolutely amazing because, do you know, you have all these like popular TikTokers who yeah. go on TikTok and upload these videos saying like, if you can relate to these symptoms, you have anxiety. If you relate to this, oh, then you have stop. Yeah, 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 yeah. And um, Dr. Ina just like goes on there and she just debunks it. She's got Good. no time for it anybody's crap like would absolutely recommend as someone you want to follow she's great honestly good because like literally self-diagnosis is so bad my um issue with Trisha a bit would be that she does kind of self-diagnose and like I did kind of think myself that she self-diagnosed a bit with the trans thing mm. um at first like I do think she's gone through traumatic situations and it probably has made her have difficulty with her gender and stuff like I mean she did prostitute 
she did escort she does only fans like she does a lot of things that if you're not mentally well like they would take a toll on you you know i do think she has difficulties mentally it's just whether mm. they're the ones that she's saying or another thing you know that kind of way i think that's really interesting because the medium that you use to do that and the way you do it is so important has everyone seen um the hannah gadsby netflix special nanette no i haven't seen no one. no what's that it about? is just such good watching guys i would just absolutely <laughs> recommend it it's just really really powerful watching so hannah gadsby is an autistic lesbian stand-up comedian and like it just starts out really great you know like very funny very light she talks about her oh. experiences and then it just like devolves into like this massive just like this message about her and like struggling with mental mm. health and like anxiety and things like it's just amazing I feel like we are all learning I think it is definitely a journey and yeah like getting called out like it sucks it hurts like recently like one of my friends sent me a thing and he was like what you said was actually like really fucked mm. up and I was like okay um I, like I hate doing this and putting the onus back on you but can you explain why and like I went back and I like learned why and I was just like okay so mm. this is how I can't do it again I'm really sorry that hurt you it was never my intention to yeah do definitely I agree I think that true education we can learn to understand each other better and by taking accountability we can learn and grow as a society so it was very interesting talking to you about this step but that's all the time we have for you today thanks yeah. so much for having me guys like i've had so much fun thanks for coming thanks. on the show steph bye thanks no again. worries bye bye